Hello there and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Michelle Watson Canfield has acquired a reputation for her Christian approach to strengthening relationships between fathers and daughters through the ABBA Project and National Center for Fathering. Recently, she has released a book that gives dads some questions, conversation starters that can be used to deepen that relationship. Learn more ahead. Also, you'll be hearing from Dell Didway. He is a prolific writer who has written for a number of publications and has released devotional books that feature professional athletes. He is releasing two devotional books in which he takes moments in Alabama and Auburn football history and offers biblical lessons and principles that can be learned from them. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, I'll move into some excerpts of legal discussions. You'll be hearing from Jordan Seculo of the American Center for Law and Justice, which has been part of a challenge to a California order that bans singing and chanting in churches across the state. Plus, Jeremy Dice of First Liberty will provide insight into religious freedom in the military with comments centered on a case in which an Air Force veteran scheduled to speak at a Marine Corps event was removed apparently because of his association with a Christian organization. Finally, it's former military chaplain Bruce Ewing and his daughter Vernay Ewing-Thompson who have crafted a book for all ages that is allegorical in nature, providing biblical insight regarding the choices that people make along life's journey. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Michelle Watson Canfield is known for her devotion inspired by the Lord to encourage fathers and daughters in their relationships with one another. She is the founder of the ABBA Project and co-chair of the Father-Daughter Initiative at the National Center for Fathering, the organization that was founded by her new husband, Ken Canfield. She is the author of a book called Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters, and spoke with me about it not too long ago. From that conversation, this is Michelle Watson Canfield. Every part of the research says that when a daughter feels a connection to her dad, Every part of her life is better. Do you want me to give you some examples of what goes better? Sure. Okay. She gets better grades in school. She's more likely to finish high school and attend college. She has less body dissatisfaction and healthier weight. She has less suicide attempts. I mean, that's a significant one. She's going to delay having sex. A lot of dads go, okay. Your daughter will also have less depression if she feels connected to you. She will also have, listen to this one, more pro-social empathy. I mean, if ever there was a time where we need more of that, it ties Mm. to father-daughter closeness. So dad, whatever you do to pursue the heart of your daughter and your son, of course, spend one-on-one time. And that's why my book, Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters, is all about talking. Spend time talking, asking her questions. And if you don't know what to ask, I've given you 60 scripts in this book that that give you the exact words to say. What do you sense from a a, a biblical point of view is going on as far as the the dad-daughter relationship? In other words, as you were talking about what the research shows, what is it that's built in to that relationship from a a spiritual perspective that that makes it so, uh, so important? That's a great question. I I think you couldn't have asked a more important question, Bob, there with that one, because to state the obvious, right, God calls himself a father, right? A father to the fatherless, 
right? We go to him for comfort, Psalm 103, Deuteronomy 1, 30 and 31. He's a father who carries us. So we know biblically that God refers to himself as a father. And isn't it also interesting that the that Jesus, right, in the book of John says that Satan is a father of lies, small f, lowercase mm-hmm. f, father. Yes. And I truly believe that the enemy of our souls is a counterfeit father of lies who is a threat to our relationship with God as a father. So if we as men and women are going to, I believe, be who God has called us to be, we need a relationship with God as our father because our identity is in him, right? Who we are is rooted in him, but we have a father of lies who wants to tear down that relationship between us and God as a father. So when you as dads help build a bridge to God as a father by being an earthly father who dials into our heart space, shows compassion, gives us unconditional love, those qualities that God as a father has, you as a dad help build a bridge between our hearts and God as a father, his mm-hmm. heart. And again, that's why dads matter so much. You have a number of conversation starters in this book. So how is it that you developed these areas of conversation? Mm. So I have been leading coaching dads of daughters for the last decade in my Portland, Oregon home. And I mentor, if you will, 12 dads a year. And we meet once a month and And over this past decade, as I've heard what men have asked for, they've often said, we don't know what to say. seems like whatever we say backfires. Mm. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to put scripts in your hands and I'm going to expand it. This is even more than I give the dads in the ABBA project. ABBA means, right, daddy in Aramaic and men love a project, hence the name of the group I lead, the ABBA project, where dads come, and I find that they're often hungry for more tools for their toolbox as a father. And so in this book, the way I develop these questions, many of them is listening to what men have said their daughters are struggling with and what they need to process. I've also mentored girls for 40 years and young women, and then I've been a professional counselor for 25. And so throughout my life, the combination of all of that has led to this book where I have 60 scripts for dads to lead their daughters in all kinds of conversations. And I've broken them up into five themes. My goal, again, is to equip dads to lead. Lead her to laugh. Lead her to look. Lead her to love. Lead her to lament and lead her to listen. So the first four sections are scripts for dads to to lead their daughters in those conversations. But the last one, lead her to listen, is what I call flipping the script, where now the daughter can be handed the book and she has questions to ask her dad. Michelle Watson Canfield here on The Intersection. You can find her online at drmichellewatson.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Del Didway. He shared about two devotional books that he has written, sharing spiritual lessons based on moments in Alabama and Auburn football history. The books are entitled Auburn Believer, 40 Days of Devotions for the Tiger Faithful, and Bama Believer, 40 Days of Devotions for the Roll Tide Faithful. Here now from that conversation is Del Didway. This concept kind of came about at a at a writers conference about three years ago, where my agent and I were just talking about things, and and this this, this idea just kind of hatched to start 
um, some some devotionals. Uh, my, my first one was around o- Ohio State, and so from there, you know, we, we we launched that book and and it started doing well. And then we had a conversation. He says, "Well, why don't we do, you know, one on the Bengals, one on the Reds, and just start doing these sports devotions?" And then we obviously wrote the one about about dugout devotions and the first time devotions that Iron Street Media and New Hook Publishers have done just a fantastic job on. And so, um, and with that, you know, those books had was so well received that there's going to be a volume two now. Volume two of Dugout Devotions and First Time Devotions will be out next year with Iron Street Media and with New Hope Publishers. And there are more interviews with some of the you know, more more popular uh, baseball and football players that do profess a belief and they share those beliefs uh, as a Christian to me. So we're able to put those stories down. But we are very excited, as you mentioned, about Bama Believer and Auburn Believer to, to launch here real soon because it's a great rivalry and it's you know, great competitiveness amongst the fans, amongst the players, rich history. And I learned quite a bit about you know the, the history of the Iron Bowls and the history of Alabama and Auburn facing off, uh, not, not against only each other, but various other teams. And we you know, recapture a lot of those moments and things that you know, people may know about, they may not know about. But you know, great plays, great players, great moments. Most of them are good. There's a couple of in, in each book that aren't so good as far as memories because they deal with losses, and that's the same thing in, in, in life, Bob. We, we mm-hmm. don't win everything. So we have to throw in some, some times when Alabama struggled or when Auburn struggled and try to learn a lesson that way too. There is a structure to each of these devotions. You take a great moment, a teachable moment sometimes from either Alabama or Auburn, and the books, I assume, are are formatted very much the same way. You've got the moment, you've got scripture, you've got some some lessons, and tell us just a bit more about the structure of each of these devotions. Yeah, they're, they're really fun. Uh, to write. In fact, it, it doesn't take me long to write them once I do all the research. You know, <laughs> it takes me more time researching those, those games and those moments than it does actually to write it. And but that's the fun part. I, I enjoy that. So we we structure each each chapter like you said. We typically open with a verse that that does relate to. It kind of sets the tone. Then we get into the moment and we, we relive in three or four or five paragraphs, what happened that day, that player, that, that, that time, that, that the, the entire game. And then we also conclude that also with a, with a verse. And then we get into the challenge. We give like a, a, a moment for, and try to relate that to everyday life, something from that game that you may experience yourself, not as a player, obviously, but we try to mold that into an everyday life situation, a moment. So you, reli- you so you want to relive your moment or be challenged by a moment. And then we give kind of a call to action. What can you do to either be like this or not do this, not make this mistake, or, or else try to live up to people's uh, not expectations, but try to try to lead the best you can. And we give scripture, we give examples of how to do that kind of steps. And it's and it's not a you know, do-it-yourself thing. It's, it's not me preaching at you. It's just suggestions, things that I follow, too, as well things that some you know, Christian leaders uh, suggest that we do to uh, try to improve ourselves. And a lot of it's, it's not repetitive, but we do kind of you know, bang on the drum that you know, if, if you want to 
be successful in 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 the Christian life. It's, it's you know, obstacles you face are going to be tough, but it's it's not tough. You just have to do some basic things. You got to read your Bible every day. You know, yeah, and it doesn't have to be long. It can be a couple of verses. Pray every day, um, and then go to church. Find a good fundamental church and go to church and participate and be active. Because if you do those things, you know, you're going to be held accountable too, and you're going to want to hold others accountable. So it gets into that. It gets in again a verse, uh, a moment, a verse, a a. A situation and how to overcome that situation. Dell Didway here on the intersection. You can find him online at Dell D E L Didway. That is spelled D U D U I T. DellDidway.com. This is the Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. And a reminder, conversations from the Meeting House program can be found through the Faith Radio app and through a variety of podcast platforms. Just look for the Faith Radio podcast when you visit iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Well, continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's attorney and executive director of the American Center for Law and Justice, Jordan Seculo. In our conversation, he discussed a case in which the organization is involved seeking to overturn a health order in California banning singing and chanting in church services. From that conversation, this is Jordan Seculo now. It is the COVID-19 industry guidance, and this is a, a document over 20 pages, just for places of worship and providers of religious services. And so we started looking through it and said, you know, is this mostly like guidelines and recommendations? Because, you know, you could disagree with a guideline or recommendation. That doesn't mean that it's illegal for the state to suggest something you shouldn't do. You still get to decide if you should do it or not. Uh, But it's different when you start looking at things that sound uh, particularly legal. So you get literally, I mean, you go past the cover page and then the overview and then you get to really this oh, the second page of the dot 20 plus page document and this has an asterisk next to it and it says places of worship and i always have this word circled in my legal document must therefore discontinue singing and chanting activities and then it talks about how they have to limit their capacity when they say must therefore discontinue singing there is no other language in this document that is that legal that sounded legal well then we had the the department uh in these two counties mendocino county and butte county in california they both said they were going to enforce them as law that order specifically on the singing and chanting ban and if people could face uh jail or financial penalties so we we said okay this is unique because here you have a ban on singing and chanting in places of worship who are following all of the rules and are in counties that are allowed to be open, uh, have indoor activities, and they're following all the other rules, and now they've come up with a restriction that only targets them. So 
it wasn't like there was a singing and chanting band for all the other places that can still be open, uh, restaurants, uh, any, any places like bars, anything like that. It was just churches. And when we saw that, we said, okay, this is a direct violation of the Supreme Court precedent that you cannot have laws that directly target. They have to be general and neutral in their applicability. And that mean, that's like when you shut down everything, whether you like that or not. That has a much better chance in the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, I think has been a little too given a little too much power to the states to override our constitutional rights. I think most of us are Tenth Amendment people. We like the power of the states uh, to have more power than the federal government on issues that affect us so directly. But we do have these federal constitutionally guaranteed rights that do override the Tenth Amendment. They are more more important, and the federal government's job. And the Supreme Court's duty is to make sure that that's not being violated. And so we have th- we represent three churches in two of these different counties, and we filed initially a complaint on July 15th, and now we filed uh, a a preliminary in- injunction uh, to get a ruling on that. Uh, that was filed on July 24th. Uh, we're just awaiting the kind of the briefing uh, schedule on the preliminary injunction. What that would mean is that at least as long as this case was going on, uh, that California would, uh, that these churches could continue to operate the way they're allowed to operate, plus they could do the singing in the socially distanced way they're supposed to, um, but there wouldn't be a ban on singing and they wouldn't be facing potential jail time. Or mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's what we're talking about here, or, 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 or financial penalties. And then we can have the longer case. You know, our hope was initially that California would come back and say, you know, for places that are open, this this was just the wrong choice of words, because if you look at the rest of the document, it doesn't really read like this. And that's why it stuck out so much to us. But they so far, they've given no indication that that's what they because they could have come to right to court in our response to our complaint and said, no, no, that's not what we meant. This is and even if these county health directors thought that that's wrong, too. We did not intend this to mean something you could enforce as like a criminal violation, uh, but they didn't. So now we're at the stage where we're going for a preliminary injunction. Um, the, the briefing schedule, you know, is looking like um, August, uh, uh, but uh, we're trying to move that up as well. You know, COVID is affecting a lot of this. Most of this is being done virtually. Jordan Seculo here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website aclj.org. Well, next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Jeremy Dice, special counsel for First Liberty Institute, who traced recent developments related to religious freedom in the military, including the case of an Air Force veteran who was dismissed as a speaker for a Marine Corps function because it was discovered that he was associated with the Ministry of Crew. From that recent conversation, this is Jeremy Dice now. The Marine Corps Reservists, about 100, maybe 120 of them, all judge advocates. They, they get together for their two weeks of duty every year. And part of that require, is some required training. And, and they were looking forward to studying the Battle of Gettysburg, that very pivotal battle in the Civil War that is uh, you know, heavily studied by members of the, the, the Marines and other armed forces for its strategy and place in military history and the lessons of leadership that can be gleaned from it. And that's exactly what they were hoping to do. They, they watched some videos basically giving a tour of, of uh, Gettysburg before they got to the location. Uh, they were going to do this all in person, of course, but COVID-19 kind of ru- ru- uh, ruined those plans. They had to do it virtually instead. 
Uh, but they they, uh, they then looked at the speaker biography. This is the only other required thing that they had to read before they got to the training, which was the biography of the speaker, which is pretty consistent with any other speaker biography that you would usually read, right? It has the person's credentials, their work experience, their education, and then maybe a word or two about their personal life. Well, this speaker happens to have been a 20-plus year veteran of the United States Air Force, uh, serving as a navigator. Uh, he then uh, went to uh, Tufts University and got some education and ended up as a professor at the United States Air Force Academy for a dozen years or so, studying or uh, teaching on political science out there. Well, he um, he also happens to have been very active in a little organization, according to his biography on this speaker's bio, called Campus Crusade for Christ, or CREW. Now, that's the only mention of religion in this entire thing. There was the, 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 uh, the lecture was going to be on military strategy and tactics, uh, history, leadership, that kind of thing. The only mention of religion happened to be the speaker's personal religious beliefs and personal religious affiliation. But that led an activist to uh, call the Pentagon, uh, call up the, the, the deputy judge advocate for the United States Marine Corps, which is uh, somewhere in the two or three spot in the, in the Marine Corps legal division anyway, uh, and within a, about an hour got a call back saying it's been handled and the event had been canceled. In other words, while the Marine Corps is supposed to be all about training warriors for battle, they instead surrendered to the cancel culture. And I think that is absolutely despicable. The complaint that was made to the Pentagon, and apparently this act has called up a colonel in the Pentagon and was able to get a hold of him very quickly and turn this around on his personal cell phone, by the way. So that, that concerns me about mm -hmm. how deep access that this organization has. But the claim that they made said that because of his personal faith, his speaking to this group of judge advocates, Marine judge advocates, would violate what he called the no establishment clause of the Constitution. Now, I, I don't know what the no establishment clause of the Constitution is. That, that's not in the First Amendment. Maybe he's referring to the establishment clause, but not the no establishment clause. I've never heard of that phrase before ever. But regardless, uh, I mean, do we really think that the Marine Corps would allow uh, someone to violate the establishment clause in front of about 120 Marine judge advocates? I mean, that, that, that seems a bit far-fetched, don't we, don't we think? But, but regardless, look, he was, he was excused from this service because of his personal religious beliefs. Look, everything from Article 6 of the Constitution, which forbids religious tests for office, to cases like Trinity Lutheran, which says that you can't deny someone a public benefit simply because of their religious affiliation, all the way through just numerous DOD policies that protect religious freedom and the right of our uh, service members to profess their faith and exercise it even in the military service. All of that suggests that you cannot fire someone, cancel someone, dismiss someone, get rid of someone just because they have a personal religious affiliation with which you disagree. Uh, they're allowed to provide that service. And the fact that the Marine Corps was willing, willing to cancel this speaker because of it all is, is just frightening. Are we really to the point where the Marine Corps is willing to surrender to the cancel culture rather than allow – people to have their personal religious affiliation and present to them as well. Uh, if we're really at this close, how, how close are we now to saying that, uh, well, if we can't have speakers, then we can't have Marines who have a personal religious mm. affiliation. Uh, we're not that far away from that point at all. Jeremy Dice here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website first, spell it out, firstliberty.org. 
Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Bruce Ewing and his daughter, Vernay Ewing-Thompson. In a recent conversation, they discussed the allegorical book that they co-wrote entitled The Treasure Tree, a book for all ages that offers biblical insight into life's journey and choices. From that conversation, here are Bruce Ewing and Vernay Ewing-Thompson. Matthew 6, uh, 21 talks about a treasure. It says that, you know, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so many people are looking for answers to things. And so it just pops into our heads, our hearts, that because um, the heart's flawed and in many people's minds, they don't know which direction they're going to go. So we decided to open up a box of treasures for people to go through, and uh, you know, hopefully it will influence their lives and impact their lives um, to the good of God and to their good. So we just, uh, the whole idea just came into my mind. You know, the Holy Spirit has a way of just putting things out there. I just grabbed hold of it and said, okay, Lord, let's go with this, and there you are. So, but that scripture rings true with me. Well, I have to um, date back to when I was a child. <laughs> so, um, you know, ever since I was really young, my dad has um, read to my sister and I um, the Bible, different books, and he would even make up stories, and they were so fun and adventurous. And I took a liking to actually reading. Um, and then from that, I just enjoyed just a merit of different books and watching different films. And then I was thinking to myself, man, I wish that the ending of this book or this film was different. And I said, you know, I'm going to just start writing my own stuff as a hobby. It was just a strictly a hobby. And so then my dad saw that I just was writing and, you know, I would talk to him about what do you think about this? What do you think about that? As far as the different fun books I was um, writing as a hobby and, he was like, oh, they're you know pretty good. And as time went on, uh, he actually asked me, he had an idea for a book, and he wanted me to collaborate with him. And that kind of started the journey of us writing The Treasure Tree. It's been an awesome experience. It took us about a year. <laughs> it took us about a year to write The Treasure Tree, and it's been, it's been fun. So from a biblical standpoint, what would you say would be the important lessons that you would want readers to take away from this book? Well, you know, uh, even in Matthew uh, sixteen twenty four, you know, it talks about uh, three things. The Lord says, hey, look, he said, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself, got to pick up your cross, and then come after me. Well, that kind of reveals your heart and this is kind of the challenge that they had because the book opens up and it reveals that Matt has such a great heart such a great desire to serve other people and on the other hand uh, Jackson is kind of self-centered he appears to be you know uh, right there with Matt but that uh, you know the the treasure and looking around and seeing what's in the tree is so enticing to him that he forgets his main reason for being there, and he's consumed with self-centeredness and uh, and trying to devise a way uh, in order to get those things instead of going the route that Jedediah has prescribed for each of them to take. And, Verne, I wanted you to 
to also comment, if you would, with respect to uh, the biblical lessons that you would want people to take away from this? I just want to caveat on what my dad was saying, uh, self-centeredness. I feel that what I really want readers to get out of the book is uh, the journey that Matt's taken, getting some great, solid, just guidance. I mean, definitely want to encourage people to realize that love is a big factor in the treasure tree, honesty, being honorable, doing the right thing in the midst of hardship, because that's sometimes hard to do. I mean, let's just face it. <laughs> in life, sometimes it's just hard to be nice, right? Um, and when people treat you wrong, sometimes it's just a challenge. And so we wanted to, to showcase that in the book, how did Matt deal with the challenges, how he was treated, what was what was the outcome in that? So that's kind of what we wanted to do. <laughs> in the book. Bernay Ewing Thompson and her father Bruce Ewing here on the intersection. You can learn more by going to thetreasuretreebook.com. Well, we are coming up on the end of today's edition of the Intersection podcast, a weekly production of the Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. The Intersection podcast can also be found through the Media Center, and you can find it in iTunes as well. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And a reminder... Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.